Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today on China Corner Office, a podcast powered by The China Project, the New York-based news and information platform that helps the West read China between the lines. I'm Chris Marquis, a professor at the Cambridge Judge Business School, and today we are joined by George Shen from IBM. George is a tech exec and thought leader who has a long-standing focus on AI and cloud technologies spanning both the U.S. and China. While George has been in the U.S. for decades, he grew up in China and attended Tongji University in Shanghai and was an AI researcher even as far back as the mid-1990s. Before we dive into the discussion, George wanted me to point out that the views he expresses here are his alone and don't represent IBM's point of view. At the outset of the show, George provides some helpful context into the general development of artificial intelligence technologies. We then discuss details on the similarities and differences between the AI strategy of the U.S. and China. One key difference that George highlights is China's whole nation approach that is exemplified by the 2017 China National AI Strategy, which we go through in detail. The U.S. conversely does not have any sort of national overarching strategy, and the strategies are fragmented across the private and public sectors. We also, however, discussed the recent report from former Google CEO Eric Schmidt that does give suggestions and recommendations for national advancement of AI. One aspect of that report that has gotten some media attention is Schmidt's prediction that China will overtake America in AI by 2025. We discussed the likelihood of that prediction, and George provides some helpful insights on the strengths and weaknesses of China's path toward being a global leader in AI. In particular, we focus on the use of AI in different industries in China, from facial recognition to public surveillance, as well as leading players in the field, from large well-known tech firms like Baidu and Alibaba to more specialized up-and-comers like Megvi and Hikvision, who also have been in the news recently. We also discuss differences in public reaction to mass adoption of AI in China and also in the U.S., This actually led us into a discussion of ethics of AI and how cultural and social factors across the two countries result in different attitudes. For instance, in China, people being much more tolerant towards AI technologies like facial recognition than in the U.S. 
Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. George, welcome to China Corner Office. Glad to be here, Chris. First, it'd be great to just dive into a little bit of background. I mean, I think that's always a nice way to start off. Our topic is AI and talking about the development of AI in both China and the U.S. Differences, similarities. How did we get here in some ways? Because if you think about it, just probably five, ten years ago, AI was mostly talked about in movies. But now, really part of the daily discussion, political discussion, and obviously a lot of economic consequences too. Maybe I can start with some of the background on the AI. You know how we came to be. Sure, that's great. And as you said, there's a lot of popular、uh, literature and the popular culture has AI in human imagination. I think that、uh, some sort of intelligent being. Can perform some sort of activity or exhibit some kind of intelligence is always in human imagination. So if we think about English word automaton, automaton is in etymology is from Greek. So it means that some sort of self-operating device can perform some task. And since ancient Greek, and we can also find some equivalent automaton kind of concept in ancient Egypt as well. Fast forwarding to medieval time as well as Renaissance period, you have seen the concept really evolve from sort of like a dumb kind of device to a more intelligent kind of being. And I'm sure you noticed that in Da Vinci sketch, he had actually a great sketch on a very detailed design about a kind of a knight. And a lot of people believe he actually made a model. Wow. In humanoid kind of form, which is actually a replica still available. So the idea is always there from folklore, from fairy tales, from a mythology. People always imagine that kind of supernatural or some kind of device there can perform intelligent tasks. Now the word artificial intelligence actually coined by the great computer scientist and also engineer John McCarthy. He taught in Dartmouth College. And also moved to Stanford after he founded a MIT lab, AI lab, with another great mind in AI, whose name is Marvin Minsky. So both of them actually、uh, led a workshop in the summer of 1956. A lot of people, very smart people, attended right in this workshop. So in this conference, basically, McCarthy coined the term artificial intelligence. Basically, he defined the field as artificial intelligence. Which could comprise of a lot of different things. So the word artificial intelligence is really big. It actually has a lot of different fields, several branches, if you will. So I can point out a couple of、uh, key branches within the term artificial intelligence. First, computer vision. If you think about how computer can see things like human do, this is widely used in autonomous driving. So computer vision is number one. Number two is language processing. How computer can understand what you say, what I say, then respond. This is called a natural language processing. Another field is、uh, something called knowledge representation. Okay. Right. Think about we humans have a lot of common sense. Where common sense come from, and how the common sense is represented in our mind, is also big research field. This is called a knowledge representation. Another field is called、uh, automated、uh, reasoning. How human can use logic you know, since ancient Greek time? You know, human are able to use logic to derive, to infer, to deduce 
So this is kind of capability that very much we want to compute to learn as well. The last thing I want to say is more popular today is called machine learning. Machine learning is also in the news quite a bit. Right, exactly. We will dive into what sort of application machine learning can make. And this is very interesting field right now. How machine can learn either by something called you know, supervised learning or unsupervised learning or reinforced learning. There's different methods to teach machine how to learn. Machine learning is a really big field, but in this essence, this is really about pattern recognition. How do you recognize the pattern in a problem then so that you can solve a new problem based on what you learn? One thing implicit, a lot of the writing about China AI is that pattern recognition in machine learning and the idea being, okay, if you have these huge data sets from whomever, Alipay or whomever, this actually is a big resource for, for the machine learning. Can you say a little bit more about the specifics of AI today and in the recent past in China and the US and how maybe there's different strategies that the different countries or companies in the countries are adopting? I will say this. I actually created this question quite a lot, right? I mean, you know, especially when it comes to where is China vis-a-vis the U.S. when it comes to the AI research and development. I actually like to divide our topic a little bit into two subtopics, if you will. One is about research and development. Another is about application and adoption. To me, these are pretty different kind of a paradigm, right, if you will. In terms of R&D, as we just discussed, U.S. pretty much pioneered the idea of artificial intelligence in modern days, right? By the way, I I want to mention that uh, before artificial intelligence, people always think that the computer predates artificial intelligence, right? That actually is not quite right. As we said, the idea of artificial intelligence, maybe it's not called artificial intelligence, but the idea is always there, right, since ancient times. Now, once computer was invented, actually it exactly 200 years ago, by a professor of Cambridge, in fact, whose name is Charles Babbage. He basically is credited with the invention of a mechanical computer in 1822, which led to more advanced electronic computer, first from analog, then nowadays to digital. The idea of Artificial intelligence really is the history of computer science because all the computer scientists want to use computer to mimic or imitate or simulate how humans do things naturally. Since the 50s, we talk about 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s even to a large extent, U.S. led the R&D pretty much single-handedly. Once we get into this century, we see a lot of other countries starting to catch up, right? Like UK, Canada. Can I ask you a question? But so when you say the U.S. led, I mean, was it companies like IBM or, or was it actually researchers at, you know, MIT, Caltech? I mean, what was this industry led or university led or defense department led? Who was doing this work? Good question. Actually, I would say both. In the 60s, 70s, by large, it's more about government sponsored program, like a DOD program, especially under DARPA. They sponsored a lot of smart people like John McCarthy and uh, Marvin Minsky. In fact, if you just look at it, who attended the Dartmouth conference, the two giants I just mentioned, both of them actually work for universities. Marvin Minsky worked for MIT for a very long time. 
and uh, who was a professor at MIT. John McCarthy is doing a lot of research work at Stanford. But there's one guy whose name is Nathaniel Rochester, okay. who actually worked for IBM, uh-huh. was also in the conference. There's another big heavyweight name whose name is Cloudy Shannon, who is basically known as the father of information theory. Very, very famous. He worked at Bell Lab. So I would say if you look at all these people's background, I would say the combination of mostly research institutions, universities, some industry labs like Bell Labs, as well as corporations like Toshiba, IBM, and a lot of these big names. Can you say then, so, okay, so we've come up, U.S. as this early pioneer decades of fundamental research work. And so now China has really risen and being seen as sort of an AI superpower. Can you describe the China trajectory then and how that may differ as far as who's involved and what sort of subfields they're focused on? Let me finish the story on the U.S. side. I quickly dive into the China side. After the 60s, 70s, 80s, mostly it's university research R&D-led effort will not see a lot of real-world application during this period of time. Maybe one exception is the expert system, which is widely popular to use the DEC, like Digital Equipment Corporation. Basically, it's a kind of a heuristic system, right? You use a bunch of rules to define what you can do, what you cannot. It's kind of decision tree right. where you can derive your outcome. But that system is kind of outdated nowadays. But more specifically, if we look at the 90s and the 2000s, the corporations gradually caught up. Corporations like IBM, which actually invest a lot of money in artificial intelligence. One of the achievements is in 1997, IBM Deep Blue beat Kasparov, the best human champion in, you know, player in chess. And then in 2011, again, IBM had a system called Watson, played the Jeopardy game, beat two human champions, Kane Jennings and uh, Rudder and Butler. The two human champions was beaten by a computer. Okay. Well, this actually is a field called natural language uh, processing. Then fast forward to 2016, DeepMind is a UK company, which was acquired by Google, played one of the best human player in Go and also large board, much bigger computation than the chess. In 2016, the DeepMind algorithm called AlphaGo right. was able to beat one of the best human players in the world, whose name is Li Dao. In fact, 2016 is also a very important year for China. If I pivot to China, I would start with 2016. 2016 is really the pivotal moment. We can even call it the Sputnik moment mm. for China in AI. Why? Because after the five-game series, which computer won four, Li Dao could manage to win one game. So at that time, it sends basically a shockwave to the research and scientists. And not only in the area of AI, but as well as the people caught the news and was shocked by this news. And how AI was progressing so fast, yeah. be able to surpass the human best player in Go. And so at that moment, Chinese government immediately stepped in to make a lot of directives, dictate the strategy using the whole nation approach. We call it Zhuguotizi, right? Basically concentrating all the resources using the government's prerogative, manage all the resources dedicated to one task, which is to advance AI in the field of research and development as well as adoption, then compete with US. This is the critical moment for China. But if we look at how China, in terms of technology advancing China, China actually had a very interesting history 
in this whole nation approach. A lot of people in the U.S. have the idea, philosophy, I would say, right, that the whole nation approach probably not work. We will dive into, you know, what kind of problem maybe can work for this kind of approach. Maybe other problems do not work so well. Right. Just in terms of the technology, China had some success, although you can argue it's limited success. In the 60s and the 70s, China had a success in technology such as we call it Liang Dan Yixing, which is two bombs and one satellite, oh. which is the China's own version of the whole nation approach to create nuclear bombs, the atomic first, then the hydrogen bombs, then the one satellite, which means the satellite sent to outer space successfully, or by the whole nation approach. Then you can argue that, hey, China had some success with this kind of approach. Fast forward to the 90s, once the internet came to China, and right. China was able to catch up a lot of the progress. You see a lot of startups in the dot-com era, right, in China. You also have a lot of AI company started in the early 2000s, catching up the idea of computer vision, you know, facial recognition, as well as different application in video and audio, in natural language processing, in image recognition, video perception, this sort of application. Interestingly, if we talk about AI, we cannot avoid talking about the chips. Right. Because a lot of advanced chips was used AI. And if you look at the chip industry in China, uh, very quickly, out of one thing, in 2000, China had its first important chip manufacturing company called SMIC, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation. Although it is registered in Cayman Island, but it's a Chinese company, no doubt. It has manufacturing plants in Shanghai, yeah. Tianjin, Wuhan, and I think they're also starting a new fab plants in Shenzhen as well. So China is trying to catch up right. with the whole nation effort in hardware, in chips, in software, in algorithm, in research and development. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole picture, if we go and see. So China, after the 26th spinning moment for China, right? China adopted very early on a nationwide AI strategy in 2017. Got it. Which is way earlier than the U.S., U.S. had an AI plan in 2020. Then it commissioned a study led by Eric Schmidt, led a very well-documented, uh, researched study, which is called National Security Commission for Artificial Intelligence. Uh -huh. The report is like almost 100 pages. Call out a lot of interesting strategy for the U.S. government to adopt. So, George... Can we actually go back a little bit to this China you said had the Sputnik moment, this national strategy? What areas specifically, and obviously facial recognition is a famous area, machine learning, these are things I just read about in the media, but I don't know, you know, facial recognition is frightening to think about from a Western perspective. Maybe is it overhyped or is that actually an area that China has really been focused on? Let me answer your first question first, which is about the national strategy. China, as I said, was the one of the first country to really a nationwide strategy. In fact, Canada did it even before China. What's interesting is that U.S. did not have a national strategy as of now. You can call out Eric Schmidt's report, which is kind of try to help and ask U.S. government to adopt the strategy he laid out. Right. But whether or not a U.S. government will do that, that's a different question. But coming back to the Chinese national strategy, I want to call out a couple of things. First, 
the strategy identified as the national champions. Oh, okay. Called the, you know, Ling Xiu. Okay, and who are the Ling Xiu? So they are more than a dozen companies. Okay. First, you have Baidu. Baidu is going to be responsible for autonomous driving. Okay. And even its search engine use AI as well to come up with different algorithms. The second one is Alibaba. Alibaba is responsible as a national champion for smart city. Mm. Smart city is actually a term used a lot in the West as well, right? In China, it actually has a different connotation, which I will dive a little bit later. The third one is Tencent. Tencent is actually will be responsible for healthcare, medical imaging, which also use artificial intelligence to detect, diagnose certain cancer or some other diseases in medical imaging technology. So this is a third company. There are also a lot of other companies, such as a company called Kuangshi, Megvi. It's really used for facial recognition. Right. It used to be called Face Plus Plus. Okay. It's first product. And I think we renamed the company to Kuangshi. But the company is focused on facial recognition technology, cooperating with Chinese government to adopt this uh, technology, widely used in uh, surveillance and uh, in public safety, public security arena. Another company is called Tangsang. They are responsible for something called a Smart Vision, very similar to MacV. These two companies have a lot of uh, similarities. They overlap a lot because of image recognition, smart vision. Huawei, obviously, right? Huawei actually has its own semiconductor chip design subsidiary called uh, High Silicon. High Silicon designed a lot of the world class. I would even say some of the chip design capability very close to match the US capability, wow. right? Very close to match. But this is before the sanction of Huawei, right? After sanction of Huawei, the EDA sanction, which basically cut off the software used for designing the silicon chips. It will be very interesting to see how Huawei will survive, how high silicon will survive as well. The last company I want to point out maybe is the Hikvision. Oh, right. Haikang Weishi. The company is specialized video surveillance technology. It's a national champion for video perception. Got it. So those are the key companies. Of course, other companies as well, but these are the key companies. Yeah. And I also want to call out the three programs, right, okay. which is not widely reported in the U.S. First the program is called a Safe City. Safe City is in Chinese called Ping An Shi. Safe City has a lot of similarity to small city. Basically, it is very much focused on surveillance, public safety, public security, traffic management, city emergency reaction, respond, disaster alert. So this kind of smart city capabilities is very much embedded in this program. The second program is called a Skynet, basically called Tianwangongcheng. It is a program basically is focused on surveillance network, the hardware, you know, the cameras, the network supporting the surveillance, the, as well as the software used for control. This program is applied at the provincial and the city level. The last one is called Bright Project, but in English, I guess the best translation is called Sharp Eye. Oh. There's a slang in Chinese called uh, The people's bright eyes can catch the criminal or the spies. And it is very much focused on the surveillance camera, wow. uh, security monitoring software. And it is supposed to be widely applied and adopted in smaller cities, rural townships, counties, and villages. One of the questions I had is really understanding how the priorities differ and the extent 
to which those programs really were so focused on public safety, surveillance, really pops out at me. In the US, I can't imagine that the programs are so focused on such public security. So can you say a little bit about the US plan or the Eric Schmidt plan? Let me touch upon the US side uh, in terms of how the public reaction, technology like facial recognition, you would see a lot of pushback from the general public right. in the US. In the very privacy conscious minded public, such as the US, it is very concerning. It will cause a lot of a backlash, right. even just right. the top topic of it, let alone right. the implementation. Right. The facial recognition is more nuanced, I think, in terms of the discussion. You see a lot of debate in the U.S. First, you see public resentment towards the police use of facial recognition to catch criminals. And they are research scientists in MIT discovered that the kind of facial recognition is very immature nowadays. And if you use that in a real-world scenario, you very much will misidentify people, particularly people with dark skin tone. Right. It was a concern that potentially you could uh, criminalize the innocent. There are cities, San Francisco, Cambridge, or maybe some of you as well. Very liberal ones. Banning, liberal ones. right, pushing the, the regulation, banning the usage yeah, of yeah. facial recognition in police departments. Huh. Some of the articles you can see nowadays, you also see pushback on that notion as well. Police is saying that, oh, look, you know, we are shorthanded. We don't have enough resource to monitor all the areas which traditionally have very high rate of criminal activities. So what do you do about that? That's still a lot of debate. But in terms of national strategy and national regulation, there's none in the U.S. But also, I want to point out that if we talk about at the state level, there are regulations. There is a website called National Conference of State Legislature. It tracks all the legislation related to artificial intelligence. It has like hundreds, if not thousands of legislation wow. proposed at the state level. People are talking about how we can using legislation to force the use of AI, which is more moral, ethically acceptable. We talked about Eric Schmidt and his foreign affairs article, and I know that he has warned China will overtake America in AI by 2025. What do you think of that? Does that statement ring true to you? Is there qualifications of it? I'd love to hear your opinion on that. I have a great respect for Eric Schmidt. Eric is great mind. He was the former CEO of Google and his leadership made a lot of progress building a very capable company as well as a lot of AI ability. A lot of his point of view are on target. However, when it comes to China's AI ability, I think there's a lot of hyper in his assessment. I don't want to come across as somebody who underestimates right. China's capability. But I think in order to sell yourself, overstating the problem so that you can get government funding. But I will point out, right, one point he may have a valid point on, which is the Chinese capability of adopting AI mm. to quickly scale at a speed that U.S wouldn't be able to match. Mm. So if we talk about facial recognition, surveillance technology using AI, population control, that area, I think China is in uncharted territory, in my view. In that respect, Eric is right. China is adopting very aggressively all these technologies we just mentioned. Yeah. But in terms of AI research and development, R&D, yeah. I think he's incorrect. Okay. That I want to call out that 
U.S. very much still in the leading nation. China, I wouldn't say even close. However, by some measures, China may be leading. He could point out to, let's say, China is leading in AI paper publication, right? In number of AI papers, if you look at it, in 2017 or 18, by some measures, AI is ahead of the U.S., right. in fact. But I don't think that is a credible measurement to look at holistically in terms of the power and the capability of, of a nation in AI. I would say AI, China is behind the U.S., behind the U.K. even, wow. behind Canada even. U.S., U.K., Canada, Japan uh-huh. would be the leader. China is not in the first tier. I wouldn't even say that. This idea of sort of using number of papers, number of patents as indices of innovation and power, but actually having governmental programs that actually have the funding, KPI, so to speak, is patents and papers. And so that just results in actually a high numbers. Yeah, indeed. Let me conclude with one point. Eric maybe is right. It's about China's ambition could rival the U.S., maybe even surpass yeah. the U.S. That's why U.S. still does not have a national strategy in right. AI. Let me quickly call out three things sure. in terms of AI strategy, which is outlined in the national strategy paper we just mentioned. First phase, by 2020, which we already passed now, China should be in line with its competitors on AI. By 2025, China should reach the world leading in some of the field of AI, you know, whether it's facial recognition, you name it. And as the same report also called out, by 2030, China should be the primary center for AI innovation hmm. in the world. So that is very ambitious. Yep. If you look at that, Eric is certainly right. started talking about how in the U.S. there's a lot of social resistance, a lot of legal resistance to a variety of AI. How about in China? Are you seeing any pushback? One of my few experiences in China with AI directly or sort of experiencing AI was I took some students to a demonstration site of a IoT company that had installed a bunch of fire sensors. And along with that were cameras in a village not that far from Beijing. And we went there and went to their control room. And it was really was surprising to Westerners. A student asked, I said, well, do the people mind at all the fact that being monitored all the time? And the person who was giving us a tour responded, well, no, actually the opposite. They really appreciate it because one woman, for instance, you know, she lost her four-year-old son and she was able to come to this control center and then they could actually find him where the son had sort of wandered off to. And so how are some of the Chinese population or media thinking about AI? So let me touch upon the cultural aspect of your question. Culturally, I think you are right. Majority of the general public will not push back very hard on this. The reason being that culturally, right, historically speaking as well, traditionally, Chinese people don't have the same sense of privacy and security as the typical American you would have. China certainly has more tolerance, I would say, right? And some would even say, hey, you know, if as long as I'm a good citizen, I have not done anything wrong, why I'm afraid of being watched over. But I think in general, you are correct to point out that the society tolerance is very different when it comes to the privacy issue. Since we are talking about legislation, uh, one question I also get a lot is what China is doing as regulating. So the first law, as you may know, in 2017, China published the kind of first cybersecurity law, right, mm-hmm. which is really, really relevant to what we are talking about. Then in 2021, it enhanced on top of that cybersecurity law, two new laws, data security law. 
which is essentially define who can access the data, define the data sovereignty concept, who can control it, who can access it, who can manage it, who can possess it, stipulating that data is generated in China, cannot leave China. The third one is called a personal information protection law, PIPL. What corporation can access or can gather by can collect and how you can manage or access the data. But lastly, uh, just this year, which is the regulation on algorithm recommendations, how you can implement your algorithm in your programs to make recommendations. Government wants to make sure that the companies adhere to social norms, morality, code of conduct. When I look at this law, it is very broadly brushed and it's very difficult to implement in my view because how do you define moral subject to a lot of debate or definition or criteria? So the law itself did not define clearly. But in any case, the law is already pushed out. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, George. This has been super interesting, enlightening. Thank you so much, George, for joining us on China Corner Office. Thank you, Chris. Chris.